0: Lord Eccles, in his book Halfway to Faith, tells an interesting story of a small church in the Austrian Alps. And they had a beautiful crucifix on the outside of the church. They considered it was valuable, so in order to preserve it, they painted it every year. And this carried on for a hundred years. And then came the point at which the church was in financial difficulties. So somebody in the congregation suggested... Why don't we take that down to the local museum and get it valued? And so it was dismantled, taken down to the local museum. And the curator looked at it and he said, I can't possibly give you the value of it unless you give me permission to remove the accumulated paint of a 100 years. And slowly and painfully he did that. And when he got back to the bare wood, he found the most exquisite piece of carving he had seen. And it was much more valuable than the people in the church had realized. But they didn't realize its value until they got right back to the bare wood of the crucifix. And when I thought about Christmas, I thought Christmas somehow over the centuries has been overlaid with all sorts of different things. We could sum them up under three headings. Human speculation, sentimental imagination, and commercial exploitation. And there are many people who don't understand the true beauty and wonder of Christmas, of the priceless gift that Jesus came to bring, of eternal life through his death and resurrection. And it's not until you get back to the bare wood, the simple truth of Scripture, that you understand just how wonderful, how valuable, is the gift of Jesus that God sent to us 2,000 years ago. And for the basis of our thoughts this morning, we're going to look at these words. And I thought it would be good if we just said them together, just to refresh our minds and uh, read them aloud so that they come home with fresh impact to our hearts. Let's join together. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, on whom his favour rests. And those words are really wonderful because they came straight from the presence of God via an angel of God, just without any embellishment at all. And from those words, I want to remind you of six reasons why the good news of Jesus is so wonderful and why it's so important that we grasp the heart and core of the message in these words. I love the way the New English Bible translates the phrase, I bring you good news of great joy. It translates it, "I bring you the most wonderful news the world has ever heard, the most wonderful news the world has ever heard." There's always a danger in becoming familiar with Christian things, so that they no longer light up our hearts. And I hope some of the thoughts that I share from this passage will help us to realize afresh just how wonderful is the truth of the gospel that so many of us have been privileged to embrace. First of all, the good news that Jesus came to be born is good news because it calms our fears. Do not be afraid was the first message the angels gave to the shepherds. They were terrified that night as they saw the glory of the Lord. It's amazing sometimes how phrases stick in your mind. And I remember a phrase when Ronald Reagan was the president of the US. And he used a phrase fear is riding in the saddle in every part of the world. How true that is. There are many people who live with daily fears the fear of war, the fear of starvation, the fear of finance failing, the fear of health failing. The fear of being found out for something that we've done that's wrong. And the fear of facing God and ultimate judgment. And only last week I was talking to an aristocratic gentleman and he said, it's not death I fear, it's the interview on the other side. And people live with all sorts of fears. And fear is a very powerful emotion that can cripple us and lead to all kinds of phobias. Fear leads to a sense of, destroying our well-being, and it can lead to a breakdown in our nervous system. There are many other words that you could link with fear, like anxiety and worry, the things that dominate our thoughts during the day and somehow prevent us from sleeping at night. Anxiety, for example, is a Greek word that means a mind that is divided and distracted a mind that pulls us in several different directions at once. And so our hopes pull us one way, our fears pull us another, our emotions pull us apart. And the old English root word from which we get worry means to strangle, which is very expressive. Because when we're really fearful, worried and anxious, it can take such a hold on our personalities that it can have physical consequences so that we end up with headaches, with neck pains, with ulcers, and so on. So fear and anxiety affects our minds the way we think, our emotions the way we feel, our actions the way we behave, our bodies the way we function. And it can be a devastating thing. It can gnaw away at our personalities and completely destroy our sense of well-being. And Jesus knew the damage that fear and anxiety and worry would do to us. And four times he said, do not worry, do not worry. Don't worry about food, what you will eat. Don't worry about fashion, what you will wear. Don't worry about fitness, how long you will live. And don't worry about the future, what may happen tomorrow. I read a phrase that shocked me at first, which said, worry is unconscious blasphemy. That was written by Oswald Chambers. What was he saying? Maybe that the fear I have, the problem I'm wrestling with is so great, it's too big for God to handle, so somehow I've got to handle it myself. I remember some words that the Continentals used to sing. They were an American group that came through our area several times, and they sang a song. There is no problem too big, God cannot solve it. There is no mountain too tall, he cannot move it. There is no storm too rough. He cannot calm it. If he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, I know, my brother, he could carry you. So what is the answer to fear? Well, the psalmist wrote, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And in Psalm 23, we have that beautiful phrase, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And the answer to fear is to lay hold of the presence and power of Jesus in our lives. And there are two wonderful examples in the New Testament of this happening. First of all, when the disciples were on the lake and it was storm-tossed and they thought they were going to drown. They were full of fear, And they cried out. Do you remember in a majestic way Jesus stood and he rebuked the storm and everything became calm. It was his power at work. It was his presence in their midst that enabled them to overcome their fears. And you know Jesus is still stilling storms. If he could calm the turbulent waters of the sea of Galilee and I've seen it when it is unbelievably rough because it's normally like a piece of plate glass beautifully calm and there are times when we have these uprisings of fear and distress in our hearts jesus is the one if we take hold on him who can help to calm our fears take the example when they were in the upper room after jesus had been arrested and crucified the disciples they were in the upper room and they'd bolted the doors and the windows for fear of the Jews and then suddenly and silently Jesus comes and stands amongst them and he says Shalom why are you so afraid and we're told the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord so again it was his presence amongst them that made the difference. I remember being on the shores of Lake Galilee and hearing an old seasoned fisherman singing a song in broken English. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the seas. Have you ever done that? Unreservedly put your life into the hands of Jesus. Made an unconditional surrender of your life to him. That will be the beginning of the calming of the fears that rise up within our hearts. Secondly, the gospel is good news because it brings great joy. When Jesus was born, the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. And we know that fear is the enemy of joy. When Jesus comes to live in our lives and we live in a daily personal relationship with him, he not only calms our fears, but he gives us great joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. There was so much joy at the time when Jesus was born. Mary was full of joy when it was revealed to her that she would be the mother of the Messiah. Her heart throbs with praise as she sings, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. The shepherds rejoiced when they were privileged to receive the news and they returned to Jerusalem glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. Simeon rejoiced when he took Jesus as a child into his arms and he was able to say, I can depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. And the wise men rejoiced. And we're told that as they returned, they were overjoyed. The coming of joy when Jesus was born. And you know, joy is very much a Christian word and it almost stands in contrast to the concept of happiness because happiness has in it the root word hap and much of our happiness depends on those things that happen to us in life. So if good things happen, we are happy. If bad things happen, we are sad. Our moods tend to depend upon our circumstances in life. For some people, happiness is found in what you have and what you handle, material things. But as somebody put it, Material things are subject to the law of diminishing returns. The more you have, the more you want. And the more you get, the less you enjoy what you have. Is that not true? So you're not going to find real happiness in that direction. Others perhaps would look for happiness in what they do, their calling in life, their vocation. And sometimes that can be good and rewarding, though for many people work is so much pressure, even boring. But God gave us work as a blessing to put to work the gifts that he's invested in our lives. But real happiness is not so much in what you have or what you do. It's who you are, the person you become. The real world in which we, which we live isn't so much out there as in here. And what are we like at night when we're alone? Are we happy people? Do we have real happiness? peace of mind, and that can only be discovered through the joy that's available to us in Jesus. There was a man called Principal Rainey, and he was one of those men born with a very happy face. And a child went up to him and said, Sir, you're always so happy. I think you must go to heaven every night. (laughs) He left a definition of joy that some of you will recognize, which was then turned into a song. Joy is the flag which flies from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. We know when the queen is at Balmoral or at Sandringham because the flag is flying. And joy is the characteristic of a Christian's life when they're living in fellowship with Jesus. It's an expression that's shown in their faces. Joy in being forgiven. Joy in worshipping God joy in discovering truths in his word, joy in fellowship with other people. There was a bandsman who uh, was playing his drums in a church in Harrow, and uh, he was really beating his drum for all his worth. So between two of the hymns, the bandmaster leaned over to him and said, can't you cool it a bit, my boy? And the beaming bandsman looked up at him and he said, God bless you, sir, but since I've been converted, I could bust the blooming thing. And that was a true expression of Christian joy. And you know, joy is a byproduct of a right relationship with God. It's not something you go searching after. It's a gift given to you by God when you discover him and live daily with him. And it's a joy that seeks us through sorrow, tears, and the problems of life. Habakkuk was a man who was facing bankruptcy. He was facing the fear of an invading army. He could see he was going to lose everything, and yet he was able to say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And the joy that God gives is not a joy that just evaporates when difficult and challenging things come in life. Thirdly, the gospel's good news because it's for all people. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And Jesus came not just for the Jews or for the Gentiles. He came for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And John Wesley wrote those words, Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace. The arms of love that encompass me would all mankind embrace. And the prophets describe Jesus as the desire of all nations. And I find it amazing being at the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem and thinking of Jesus born just down the road, a few miles away in Bethlehem. And now people from the whole world are coming to Jerusalem to worship at the garden tomb. And I call it a microcosm of heaven because of all the nations that gather there, a place where people of every tribe and nation come to worship the Lord Jesus. And you may remember before he died, he said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And still today, 2,000 years later, people are feeling and experiencing the magnetism of the love of Jesus. And it's wonderful if you are (coughs) an evangelist, a preacher, like me and others, to know that wherever you go, whether it's a pub or a club, a school or a college, whether it's to important people or people in prison, I often go to our local prison and I love going there. It's the one place when I finish I get a standing ovation. Everybody stands up and claps. It doesn't happen in many churches but I love going to our local prison. But wherever I go, I know I have a message that people need to hear. Jesus came for everybody. But fourthly, the Gospel's good news because it speaks of a Saviour. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. I want you to notice what the angel did not say. The angel did not say, a a teacher has been born to you. Though Jesus is acknowledged as the finest teacher the world has ever heard. His teaching is so profound. People said of him, no one speaks like this man. They marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. And they said, he speaks with authority, not like the scribes, the other religious leaders. But Jesus didn't just come give us wonderful teaching. And the angels didn't say, a leader, a great leader has been born to you. Though Jesus is without question the greatest leader the world has ever seen. And still today, people use his principles of leadership because they recognize that they are so superb. But he didn't just come to be a leader. Though the people of his time hoped he would be the leader who would deliver them, from the romans and the angel did not say a great reformer has been born to you though the way jesus taught or the way jesus treated women and children with the dignity they deserved and the way in which he treated the sick and the demon possessed and the outcast with the compassion they deserved has been recognized by everybody as being something beautiful and wonderful. And wherever the teaching of Jesus has gone to different worlds, it's made a huge difference. And the angel did not say a great role model has been born to you, though Jesus left us the finest finest example of how we should live. For the first time in history, God had a man living on the earth in the way that every one of us should live. But the angels did say, A saviour has been born to you. And this is the heart and core of the Christian message. It's because we're sinful, disobedient, rebellious, and under God's judgment that Jesus came to rescue us from the judgment we deserved. You see, every one of us deserves to be excluded from God's presence forever. We have all sinned. We've not lived up to our own standards, let alone God's standards, which means we're all under his judgment. But Jesus came through his death on the cross to bear the judgment we deserved. And when we commit our lives to him, he forgives us and he opens up a place in heaven for each one of us. Jesus came to be our savior. No wonder the angel said, I bring you the most wonderful news the world has ever heard. This was the coming of great joy. And fifthly, the gospel's good news because it brings glory to God. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. What God has done in sending Jesus to be our savior means, if it's been an act of his grace, Always we should be praising him and him alone. We should never be taking praise to ourselves if God happens to use any one of us to introduce people to Jesus. As the psalmist wrote, Not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name be glory and praise. So the good news of Jesus has been given to us to share with other people, it's not been given to us to make money to build a reputation for ourselves, to build our own particular empire in order to get glory from men. The gospel is there to be shared with others. And it's interesting when Paul gives his testimony, he uses an interesting phrase. He says, they glorified God in me. He didn't say, they glorified Annas, Ananias who baptized me. And they didn't glorify me for the wonderful U-turn that I made. They didn't glorify Barnabas who nurtured him. They glorified God who had transformed him. If you go to Westminster Abbey, there's a plaque that's been put up in honor of a very famous general whose name I can't remember. But the interesting thing about the plaque is three quarters of it, is about the man who paid to have it put there, and only a quarter about the famous general. And it's just a little picture of how, as human beings, we can filch some of the glory for ourselves instead of giving God the glory when we see him at work as a result of the gospel. And finally, the gospel is good news, the coming of Jesus, because it brings true and lasting peace. The angel said, On earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. What a beautiful word peace is. The Hebrew word shalom. The Greek word is irene. It speaks of a total sense of well-being. Peace with God. Being at peace with yourself. Being at peace with other people around you. Hezekiah Uh, in the King James Version, uses these words, For peace I had great bitterness of soul, but you, O Lord, in love to my soul, has cast all my sins behind your back. And that leaves us in no doubt that the forgiveness of our sins is the forerunner of receiving God's peace. And you know, there were people who came to Jesus on earth and he healed them and he forgave them. And then he used beautiful words of benediction. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Has Jesus ever said that to you? Because you have come to him and us to be forgiveness. If you came to him today, he would whisper into your heart, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And you don't meet many people in life who are really at peace with God, with themselves and with others. It's part of the good news that Jesus came to bring. So here is the coming of joy. What a historic and momentous moment in world history it was when Jesus was born. What a life-transforming message we have to declare. Let's remind you, of what the gospel brings. It calms our fear. It brings great joy. It's for all people, however rich or poor, or however bad they feel. It brings us salvation. It gives glory to God, and it brings true and lasting peace. Wonderful. Aren't you glad to be a Christian? Aren't you glad that Jesus has come to live within your heart? then let's share this good news with others over Christmas. And if you've never taken that simple step of faith of committing your life to Jesus, speak to me or somebody else afterwards. love to help you to bring, into the, bring you into the blessing of these wonderful gifts. God bless you and thank you for listening.